0: Everything else this evening is what you put into this evening. So if you hear a poem that you would like, please, tell me
1: what you're doing. The yes. There's a side of this for kissing strangers. I make an ass of myself since so you don't to. We're here to listen to your poems. We're here to listen to those.
2: Poetry night rings through.
0: On Monday, October eighth, we said to
1: the East Coast. And it's called The End of the World Bake Sale. There was, of course, little Debbie's and Intamins, Baklava and Ladyfingers. As far as the eye can see, it was glass casserole dishes and paper plates stacked with powdered delicacies. There were brownies, both from mix and scratch. The best chocolate chip cookies in the world were there. Sporadically, mobs congregated around the sugar crepes, the key lime pie, the peanut butter rice crispy treats, the caramel banana freezer pops, the Eskimo pies, and mazurka tables. There were 300 types of apple pie, and they were all excellent. There was free coffee, and there was half and half. No one ever said it would be like this. It would come in sheets of fire, we were told. It was supposed to be trumpet from the plains of Megiddo. It was to be harsh judgment, and it would hurt. Maybe everybody who predicted it was wrong, or were themselves victims of hasty translations, but this is what the end of the world was like. The sky did not turn red with signs and portents. The cities did not tumble. The cemeteries were still. The seas were calm, and the sun did not appear any closer nor any farther away. In fact, it seemed in every way to be a really nice day. But upon waking up that Wednesday, everybody knew quietly and collectively that it was the last Wednesday. So nobody went to work. It would be the hump day to end all hump days. Though sadly, nobody stripped and fornicated with abandon like we were told people would. But then nobody did interpretive dance either. Folk singers kept a low profile. Poets weren't feeling particularly introspective. Nobody appeared drunk or apologetic or glum because it just didn't seem all that necessary. And Nobody said, I told you so. It was nice in that everything was done, and everything had been decided for you, and except for the after, nothing remained that warranted worry. It was the last day on earth, and rather than the general panic that we had been taught to expect, everybody all across the planet got up early, put on comfortable clothes, and went to business in their kitchens. By 8 o'clock, the whole planet smelled of nice things to eat. By noon, everybody had assembled along streets and fields with covered dishes and coffee urns, in mall parking lots and windy Asian steps, in shady little groves along the Serengeti and across frozen tundra. Folding tables wrapped in white paper sprang up because it was Wednesday and it was to be the end of the world bake sale. Actually, it would prove not to be a sale at all. Very quickly, the whole concept of monetary exchange would seem ludicrous, and in fact, a general baked goods giveaway began. And after all, there would be no opportunities to sell day olds, no time to invest, no time to reinvest profits. But still, it would be called the end of the world bake sale, and everybody let it go at that. The end-of-the-world bake sale enjoyed nearly 100% attendance. Nearly everybody was there except for a handful of Jehovah's Witnesses who stayed inside their ba- in their bathrobes. Eventually, even they succumbed to the irresistible aroma of chocolate cake. Nobody was at Kinko's. No gunmen were mowing down subway riders. In fact, the subways were empty except for tr- folks trying to get up to the big, ba- big sale uptown. There wasn't anybody on the net. People who usually were seen conversing with newspaper boxes were attendant and quite animated. They stood around slapping everybody on the back and handing out pecan sandies from a bag. It was the end of the world and conversation was thick and furious. Everybody had powdered sugar lips and crumbs on their chins. Everybody laughed about how there would not be enough time to get to the the, the leucamoths and honey or the sticky rice balls or dried pineapple scones to the creme brulee or the raspberry flan, caramel torts and biscottis, biscottis with white cocoa icing to the, the to the thick slabs of warm banana bread. There would be no time. In fact, the only regret voiced by the vast majority of people on the last day was that they had not started sampling more desserts sooner. Fittingly, at the end of what would be the last day of the world, there was a beautiful sunset. Over cheesecake, almond paste, caperatata, a sorbet palette of long clouds rolled across a pale green twilight. And everybody said, look at that. And they did. As night fell, there were warm fires that everyone gathered around. They watched the heavens, and when the first star appeared, everybody made their last wish. Lit by the conflagration of paper plates and folding chairs, faces whispered introductions and farewells, whispered their final intimacies to each other, hands sticky with glaze clasped and adhered. The appetite for sweets and talk, and for each other's company was insatiable and intoxicating right up to the very end. The end arrived quickly and without fanfare. Save for the final consensus that fudge with nuts was better than fudge without nuts, the end arrived without judgment. And the last thing that passed through everybody's mind, after the fudge and before there began a general tidying up of things, and passing so quickly that no sooner than it was spoken, it would be forgotten this epitaph. Let it be said of us that with the descendants of time like a sphere of warm light that quietly subsides behind distant mountains, in the collective delight that comes with pie and the sharing of pie, briefly, there was such community. Gregory Hischak, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome our first performer of the evening, Boris, to the stage.
3: Thanks. Everything I'm about to tell you has taken place since the great calamity. One of the kids had to ask me what the sun was. I couldn't answer her. It was so long ago I last saw They float in the corners of the room, usually, around the ceiling. When the light is off, I can hear them crawling out of my head and then up and down the walls with their sticky little hands. She is six. She's always been six, as far as I know. She says to me the kinds of things a six-year-old would say. You couldn't beat up my brother. Time to turn off the TV now. You're going to kill your neighbor tomorrow. She's always so bossy all the time. I can't sleep. They're all talking to me. It's the screaming, and I can't get a word in edgewise. They're very disruptive. My daughters are always talking to me, and when it's dark, I can hear them crawling up and down the walls and chattering their little teeth at each other. They don't get along well with other children. They want me to kill the guy who lives next door. Did I tell you that? They're always yammering, stammering, hammering. They never stop. She was just telling me that I shouldn't be talking to you. She's telling me to shut up. They're very disruptive, but if I concentrate hard enough, I can usually tune them out. She asked me what the sun was, if it came out and went away all in the times before and it would never come back again. I didn't know what to tell her. Do you love her too? You have always. You will always. You're stupid that way. In love with her, you know it. She haunts your dreams. You tell her you wish she loved you back and she told me to watch out that sometimes I can't remember the rest. You should be careful if you talk to my daughters. She says she has always been six and I know this is not possible, but she's my daughter and I can't tell her no. I say that the sun is coming out tomorrow, the ice will melt away and we can go into the light together. Thank you.
1: Boris, give him a hand. (laughs) Keep it going. Please welcome Christian to the stage.
4: Hey, y'all. And though I knew that she would leave me soon, the pain is one that I could not regret. To wait a weightless soul like a balloon, I hold my breath as if she never left. I've been having trouble breathing lately. Sometimes I try to see if I can hold my breath long enough for my heart to stop beating, as if I'm trying to stop myself, as if I am trying to hold on to rain like desperately cupping time as it slips through the corners of my hands, dripping to the floor, whispering to my palms, please, don't leave me. Holding on to memories collecting, collecting pieces of her she carelessly leaves on the ground Little trinkets and knickknacks I pull to my best bedside Just to watch them glow at night Replacing dreams with memories I never really know if I am sleeping or closing my eyes Searching for the moment when I forgot to be new As if finding that moment would make everything better Like searching for sunflowers in January Wondering if I should ever let go Because no matter how many times you jab a hole in the lid A jar is not a home Afraid to let go as if my breath would supply the air for your wings, away from the blackened tips of mine. Thank you.
1: That is Christian, give him a hand. Please welcome Michael Bradley.
0: Truth, with apologies to John Keats. The truth is beauty, so the poet said, but if truth is faultful, well, what of that? Sometimes with truth, spoken, spultures no good, does not accomplish anything but pain. If left unsaid, it does not do any harm. Is not the wise man who always holds his tongue to content let the small lie rest intact instead of touting beauty over harm. Thank you.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, give him a hand. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Keith to the stage.
0: (laughs) This has two voices, the speaker of the poem and the subject of the poem. And the subject of the poem is a bit more aggressive than the speaker. Speaker describing him. It's called painted face. Like a planet in cold orbit, rarely did he see the sun. Stay on course, rotate at an awful pace, shed your ice into the unlived silence of black space. He fished catfish to see them dangle, helpless on a line. Waste their fish souls, eat them pan-fried, wash them down with beer. At private moments, with his lover in his arms, he dreamed punishments for enemies. Pile them on a heap, take your spoils, mark your face with battle blood, you won. Passing within a whisper of home, he did not hear. Coming into old territory, he did not veer. Leaving his mark on bushes, he felt gods in stars. Steal children in pairs. In ritual, gag them. Then watch. Thank you.
1: that is keith ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen will you please welcome tom to the stage
2: i am the mickey mouse molecule a necessity of life and a bringer of death i am the blood of everything I carry the rainbow within my diamond heart. I can jump into the sky and hide in the atmosphere, surfing my way to distant lands. I am the level everything seeks. Around and around, I reign supreme. I can crack apart mountains and move them where I want. I pass through you maybe once or twice a day. I am in your heart and in your breath. You lived in me before you were born and I will dissolve and you will dissolve back into me when you are dead. I am only so much though and I am very old. I partied with your ancestors a lot. Needless to say, I have been around. I have passed through everything more times than I can remember. You should think about that. Thank you.
1: Tom with an H, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Alex to the stage.
5: Hi, my name is Alex. I'm reading an imitation of an imitation of a Wallace Stevens poem. Thirteen Ways of Looking at Carnations One. Among the things occupying my kitchen table, there is a double-tall mason jar with a carnation in it. Two. I mean three carnations. I am quick to respond, unlike the flowers. They stand in front of me. Two inches of pale green water provide life-giving moisture. In a way, we all have a mason jar providing us with nutrients, but the carn... The carnations are of their own mind. 3. As far as mason jars go, it is handsome. Smooth, except for where it tapers slightly at the top and bottom, this mason jar carries its own weight. Even without two inches of pale brown, or was it green water, it could still hold these carnations. 4. I am one with my kitchen. With my whole apartment. I have melded it to my tastes and image. It contains one couch, two armchairs, one large television, three large, packed bookcases, one large refrigerator, one small refrigerator for the wine. My apartment isn't off white. The oven is new. There are many maps on every wall. The kitchen table still holds carnations. Five. The beauty of living with a roommate is that I never need to clean the dishes. I have traded my dishwashing for sweeping also she keeps my plants alive i prefer sweeping to dishes doing the dishes is warm filled with soapy water and humming to myself but to sweep is to make a floor lose its memory of what has fallen i found a petal on the floor today but there is no way to reattach it to my carnations so i use tape (laughs) six there is no decipherable script on carnations unless you put it there But I have no writing on my flowers. Even the mason jar is free of my handwriting. I sometimes find myself looking at the kitchen table. Second hand, my roommate found it at a thrift store, but it is in remarkably good condition. There is no writing on this table. The signs of age are subtler. A faded spot. Carnations become brown on the bottom as they get older. Their petals fall off starting at the bottom. The table is a dark wood. My roommate and I have no idea what kind. But it holds a double-tall mason jar about three feet off the ground. Seven. Why do I think of carnations, imagining flowers standing without a mason jar, free, except they cannot? Carnations need a hand, earth, a vase. Wind cannot hold a carnation for long. How can I not see that I am not self-sustained? 8. I know that I have enough money for the rent in my checking account, that my mother can complete a crossword puzzle, even the Sunday ones in the New York Times, in less than two hours, that my roommate has put candles on every flat surface in the apartment. That I am visible except when not. That carnations are the soul of this mason jar. Nine, from above I appear to be a carnation. I have a circular pattern on my hair, only visible, only visible from above. Several things protrude from my sides that curve vaguely downward. I am not a carnation, but when the sun's, when the sunlight catches in the mason jar, it puts out a sunspot directly behind the curvature of its sides. This sunspot can be very hot. Ten. Most carnations are dyed in the shop, starting out white but then being dipped in red, maybe green or blue, or even orange. I am dipped in people, maybe opinionated or dancing, or even a lover. Carnations become slowly less colored as they absorb water, but carnations become brown faster than they do white again. Eleven. I feared I would get wet. I wore my bright red India rubber boots. The carnations did not. I don't remember the day, but the sprinklers were on in front of the courthouse near where my bicycle was to be parked. The sprinklers weren't on. It was eighty degrees that day, my feet got wet or my feet got wet in the water of my body. Mason jars are much better at holding water. twelve. It was noon when I called my bank to send the rent check. They didn't answer. The window had been left open in my kitchen. thirteen. It was sunny all day. It was cloudless. All day it would be cloudless. Carnation stood in the double-tall mason jar. Its petals were burning.
1: That is Alex, ladies and gentlemen. Last poet, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Jeff to the stage. princess on her throne she sighs shifts and grabs a strand of hair pulls it out like smoothing out ticker tape between fingers she reads fortunes and futures her hair the stars a a light bridging gap bridging time she is a medusa of multiple worlds on her throne of names and places where she sits each lock a new life each split hair spitting history never so alone as alone but never quite as alive as wanting to live the myth always goes she was punished for her beauty, but sitting there she doesn't seem so punished. Just the eyes, just this glint there, how she never really pays attention to people talking, more preoccupied with her hair than listening. Faraway looks and all that shifting, Medusa combing her hair on her throne, while everyone else tries to avoid looking directly at her. Thank you. That is Jeff. Give him a hand. Thank you all so much for joining us. Let's have one more hand. Thank you all for and being because, awesome.
3: Because, uh... Because, uh... Because, uh... No, um... Uh...
4: Because, uh... Because... Because,
1: uh... Your soul and your money. So, um, this, is a, this is a whole lot of microphone, uh, uh, Thus
5: concludes all of the analysis of the analysis of the analysis of the analysis of the analysis.